be here this morning? Yeah. Y'all alive and in love with Jesus? Yeah. Well, that's a start. Now we got something to build on. All right. So this morning is February 24th, 2013. And as of two days ago, I gave my two weeks notice. Of my yeah. So for those of you who had kids, uh, raise your hand. Now, when you had your first child, you watched the baby go for those of you who are fathers, you watched the baby grow in your wife's stomach, and it was a, a beautiful thing. You saw the sonograms, and if you were around the same time period I had my first one, you got an old VHS tape, and you go back and play it back and forth again. And there was a reality to it until there was a reality to it, if you know what I mean. That the expansion of my wife's stomach wasn't just because of her great home cooking, it was because God was birthing life inside of her. In the first trimester, she was very, rather low in her physical activity and maybe high in things coming out of her stomach and out of her mouth. But in the second trimester, it's the trimester of life. And all of a sudden, my wife just had this awesome glow about her. And by the third trimester, there came this point where she was tired of being pregnant. Can we just get this baby out right now in the name of Jesus and get on with being a parent? For, for three years, my wife and I tried to have children. Eight months into our, our marriage, uh, we became pregnant. And eight weeks into that pregnancy, uh, the doctor seemed rather concerned with the blood test. The progesterone levels were rather low, not doubling enough to support the life of the, of the, the embryo. So they came a point where we went to an ultrasound tag, and they were concerned, but they had some hope. They saw a heartbeat, and we saw a heartbeat. That was great. Next week we came back, and it was that, that soap opera kind of moment where the nurse or the doctor is very silent. Usually they're very energetic. They love this life that they interact with with pregnancy. Then all of a sudden, she is stone cold. And you get that eerie feeling something isn't right. Now I'm looking at the screen. I don't see that same heartbeat that I saw before. Then came about the news that the doctor came in and said that she, we are miscarrying. And she walked out the room to go get the doctor to confirm. And there I was eight months uh, into my, my, my marriage and had all these hopes and dreams that were building inside my wife. And now they were dead. And I'm left there to comfort her with the comfort that I need to get from Jesus in that moment. It was a weak, weak point. And all I could do is hold my wife's hands as she cried and say, I'm sorry. But it sparked something in us. Y'all ever lost a game before? Yeah, I think most of you have. And if you have that competitive nature in you like I have in me, I don't like losing. Especially to a lesser opponent. So after we walked out of that room and Jesus healed the wounds of our heart, we made it our ambition and goal to conquer the Satan and the Jesus is to have life within us. Well, the title of today's message is Perfect Strength. Perfect Strength. So if you could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll take that pulpit. I'll probably go back up there and preach on a little bit, but I like this small one as well. 
no matter what it was, sure there was a temporary power, there's a temporary strength, but it evaporated as soon as it went into my body. Come on. There's the morning after effect, or even the moment after effect, that whenever sin has deceived you and pulled you into its ranks and its territory, has robbed you of everything that is life, it walks away, and you are left naked and bleeding and poor. Amen. Yeah. At the age of 16, praise God, the Holy Ghost opened my eyes to see the true condition that I was in. I was naked. I was bleeding and I was poor. But I was a suburban white, well, brown kid. <laughs> I had it all. I had a private school. People that, or kids that went to my school, beginning as a freshman, drove $25,000 vehicles. Not I, said Matthew, but they did. You would look on the outside of my life and say, I had it all, but I had nothing. The moments before, or Years before I was born again, I did everything to appear strong. And that I could have it together, or at least in the works to have it together. To aspire to a rich job. Lots of possessions. High class relationships. But Jesus brought every one of those idols down. And there I was in my bedroom. Lonely, and here's the key word, desperate for life. You would never imagine a 16-year-old young man would be desperate for life. And you have to spend some time wallowing around in the world being defeated again and again. No, God's grace was sufficient for me. Amen. At the age of 16, I cried out and said, Jesus, take the throne of my life. Take control be my king. And it wasn't me that was great. I only acknowledged his greatness at the age of 16. And at that moment, one instant, I became a totally new creation. Right, Mom? I started cleaning my room. I started picking up my drawers. And washing my plates. I became in love with Jesus. And I realized at that very moment I owed him my entire life. But more importantly, that I could never do this without him. Amen. Now about a year later, here I am sitting in the Baptist church. And just for my knowledge, raise your hand if you're familiar with the Baptist church or have been Baptist before. It was a great place. And they, they fed me. I was able to, to get my start in salvation. Put the word of God in my heart so I would not sin against God. I had great fellowship. And there, there came a point when I was fairly ignorant of, of the workings of it. But I knew there was something in me that wanted to take this life that entered me in February 17, 1992. And share it and proclaim it and force it everywhere that I went. I didn't want any one person in this entire world to go a day without what I experienced on that day and after. So when they said, do you feel called to full-time ministry? Now here I was, 17 years old. I don't know anything about the church world. But do you feel called to full-time ministry? I said, sure. So I got up out of the back. I walked down to the front. I surrendered my life to full-time ministry. That's the way they put it. 
And when it was done, he said, why don't you sit down right here, fill out a card, and we'll be in touch with you. And I had no idea what was going to come next. What am I going to do now? Okay, they're going to call me, so I, you know, I have my phone, and, or my corded phone, and I would wait for it to ring. Nothing happened. Years went by. I got involved in the youth group and their committees and everything else. Nothing happened. They didn't seem to acknowledge what I declared that day. I was being obedient to God. I thought I would get off of that chair and then go right into seminary and then get trained and then go be part of a church and full-time ministry. Not so. An awesome turn of events happened, and I learned about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I learned about the power of God that was poured out on Pentecost to be His witnesses on earth. Amen. And I got a hold of that because I was craving there's something more than just a position or a title in order to be a full-time ministry. There's something more than just a, a, a call on a piece of paper for it to be fulfilled as a Christian. So what began to happen is that God began to take me down a trek that would lead to this very day that I'm standing in front of you now. So, I want to move on to a few other things. Is everybody still with me? Amen. You're not asleep? Amen. Amen. So, after experiencing this full, fullness of the, the Holy Ghost being poured upon me, speaking in tongues, but more importantly, knowing how to be led by His Spirit. I go to one of these crazy charismatic meetings, and there I am worshiping, and uh, I think it's okay to lift my hands. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So everybody else is doing that. Uh, okay, we kneel down. Okay, that reminds me of some of my past in South Louisiana, but sure. So I kneel down on my knees and begin to worship. And as I become obedient, I feel this intimacy with Jesus. I feel this power that I've never since before fill and rush through me. All of a sudden, I knew what the word was saying. I didn't have to just guess at it. It jumped off the page and went into my heart. I could look in other people's lives and just like Jesus knew their hearts and he responded to them, I could see what was inside of the men's hearts and know exactly how to respond to them. There was this unknown power that was filling me as I submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this man came over, he laid hands on me, and he says, I see a worship leader. I see you leading hundreds into the presence of God and being a powerful worship leader. And come on, let's be real what will go through your mind. You are responding to the surrendering your life to full-time ministry. And now here comes a man that outwardly recognizes it and says, yes, this is it. I thought for a split second of my mind, this is it. Somebody sees the call of God on my life. It's going to happen. Here we go. And nothing happens. <laughs> friend after friend around me within the same church they learned how to play guitar. They learned how to play it better and quicker than I did. They could sing better than I did. They were more anointed than I was. They got all the opportunities. I sat within a church for 10 years being discipled and watching all my friends and peers step into the very thing that God spoke over me that I would be. 10 years I watched this. And granted, I had to watch it not from far away. I had to watch it as close as Britain and I are. That not only that, I would not lead worship, I would assist in leading, basically standing where JJ normally does. I could 
get so close I could touch it, but yet I could not possess it. And I had those hard times of feeling, but Lord, why? Why, why can't this be fulfilled now? Aren't I gifted? Aren't I talented? Isn't it time now? Isn't it time now? And he kept saying, no, 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 no. And after all those years, I realized why. Because even though I was talented, even though the anointing would flow through me while I worshipped, I was not ready to receive his strength because I wasn't yet weak. My weakness hadn't been made perfect yet. All of me was still within me. And so what Jesus did is put me through ringer after ringer of squeezing me out so that he could be put in. Can y'all relate to that? Amen. Ten years, roughly, what is that? 3,600 days waiting for the call of God to be fulfilled. I don't know, there's maybe another character in the Bible that had to wait almost twice that long, if not more, for the promises of God to be fulfilled in his life. It was about a son named Isaac. That if he is the father of our faith, then guess what? The sons of the father of that faith are going to look near identical. So that the promises of God spoken to you are only fulfilled in His strength and in His power, but it has to be in the process of you learning how to be weak before Him. Amen. So everybody turn to John 15, verse 7 through 8. There. There. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, and ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Alright, saying so here's the phrase, here's the target of what perfect strength is. Whenever you show yourself to be his disciple, his strength is allowed to be poured through you. Whenever you show yourself to be his disciple, it's then and only then that the power, the anointing, the strength of the living God, the same strength that was exerted in the grave that resurrected Jesus out of it, can flow through you. So, remain. Let's think about this. I say, Gabe, remain in your seat. Is it fairly easy for him to do now? But what if I grab his arm and I begin to pull? Gabe, remain in your seat. Remain in your seat. Remain in your seat. It's a little bit harder. The promises of God that reside within you are to remain in you in the midst of everything else trying to pull it out. Over that 10-year period, you know how many times the thoughts and feelings of wanting to just give up went through my head? Went through my heart, more importantly. That maybe I'm not called. Maybe this isn't going to come true. Maybe I just need to go find another instrument to play, another church to be at. So another man of God that could recognize what I am called to do, and maybe I can fulfill it in the right place in the right time. But I knew better because I watched 
young man after young man chase their dreams, or more importantly, chase the call of God in their life in order to fulfill it on their own, and they crashed and they burned every single time because they did it outside the comfort of God. They did it in their strength. You know how long Paul spent after he was born again until his first missionary journey? Until he was sent out. It's been 14 years. 14 years. Is Paul a great man of God? Do you want the same resolute nature that he had for Jesus? Spend 14 years sitting and waiting and being trained. And circumstance telling you you're not good enough just yet. And let it still, still remain within you. And then you can come to that point that Father Abraham did. Now I know. Now I know. Which alludes to the fact that God did not know Abraham would fully trust him until the, the fulfillment of the promise was right there in front of him and it was about to be destroyed and sacrificed before God. So is everybody still in John? Yes. Alright, let's skip to the first verse of 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the, the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be, it will be even more fruitful. There's a difference between fruit and leaves, right? Come on, y'all are scientists. Y'all been to school before. Leaves are there for photosynthesis, right? Yeah. They absorb the radiance of the sun. They convert waters and sugars into energy so the plant can live. They are visible evidence that the tree is alive. But there's something missing if all you have are leaves. I don't know about you, but aside from tea, can you be sustained on leaves alone? No. I need the fruit. Because you know what's within the fruit? It's the vitamins, the nourishment, the substance that you need to live. The leaf supports the fruit, not the other way around. So Matt, you're talking about trees to me. You lost me. I'm not a botanist. Explain us a little bit. <laughs> Leaves are religious acts. By themselves, they're only a demonstration that you're connected to the vine. But that's not what Jesus is after. What he is after is that you are fruitful. Fruitful. He says, to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Well, how long may it take? It may take 10 years. It may take 9 years. It may take 9 months. But it's to the Father's glory that you remain in Jesus long enough not to just produce leaves or demonstrations of religious acts, but that you actually produce nourishing fruit unto God. Evaluate your life. Look at it. Are you so connected to Jesus that you remain in Him that no matter what hangs on you, the branch, and tries to pull you away from the main substance of the trunk, are you so attached that you can bear that weight and still bear fruit unto God? Are you going to hold on to the promises of God within you of just being born again? Despite what circumstance or family members or what everybody else says, 
so that you can bear fruit unto God and stay faithful to Jesus? I hope you do. I hope you pass that test. But I will lay before you two problems, two categories that lie within this room, and maybe even both reside within you. The first problem is independence. Everybody turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. It was on her. 
the day when we got married. It was just a matter of time, a matter of remaining in Jesus despite the face-to-face the -face encounter with death again and again and again. Saying, I don't care. I will plant my feet in the promises of God. I will wait for His grace to be sufficient upon me. Yeah. And in that month that we got pregnant for Natalie, there was a reality that began to surface out of her time. And what I was getting to earlier was that reality was born. But it took me a few weeks to actually realize that a human being came out of another human being. Just one of those things. Like I was slow. <laughs> then I remember holding little Natalie. Now she's just about like this. Holding little Natalie. And all those images of what my child would look like, what their name would be, and all those images. I'm now holding in my hands. And I kept looking at Cass going, are you, you sure somebody just didn't go get this from somewhere else? And <laughs> now, I watched the whole process, but did it really? <laughs> to be honest with you, that's where I'm at today, right now. Okay, I put in my two weeks notice. That, that really just happened, didn't it? Yeah, it really just happened. Well, the reality grows. It gets bigger. You have to manage and maintain it. So the reality really came into effect about three weeks later when I had to keep getting up in the middle of the night to take care of the baby. After my wife shoved me out of bed with a foot. <laughs> but every single bit of it was worth it. Come on, no branch can bear fruit by itself. Independence from God is toxic, if not deadly. What happens when you cut a branch off of a tree? It dies. And according to John 15, those who are cut off and laid to the side of the weather, what eventually happens to them? They're gathered up and they are burned in the judgment of God. But there's something else that's there. Independence is a problem. But there, there's another part or group within this room. Independence is not your problem. Weakness is, but it's a different kind of weakness. It's a weakness that you wallow in, that you use to manipulate God. Independence bypasses God. Wallowing in a weakness, you want to manipulate man for the very things you should be getting from God. So everybody turn to Hosea 4.6. Knew 
you. You did all these things. You prophesied my name. You drove out demons. You performed miracles. But you did not know the Lord as intimate as a husband and wife know each other. Come on. Some of you have been in the Lord for a while. You know you can be very busy doing a lot of good things, but never pick your head up to actually look where the Lord is going. And the reason that He's actually flowing through you still is for the sake of the people and the need in front of you, not a validation of who you are. We are designed to be grafted into Jesus so much that who we are is who He is. We're one. And that we are to know Him. You know, the problem with independence, it's a lack of knowledge of your own weaknesses. There are those of you in here, that is your number one problem. You're so independent that you can't be corrected, you can't be steered, you can't be turned. Just the mere suggestion that you have a weakness offends you and makes you run from those who are trying to give it to you. Come on. If I saw that my wife was carrying a handgun loaded and the trigger was pulled back and she was swinging her arm, do you think I would want to let her know about this potential weakness? It could harm her and harm others. But the minute that thought and that feeling begins to rise inside of you and says, no, I can do this. I don't need somebody to show me. And it's actually, it's more toxic the longer that time goes by because you feel like I should know how to preach. I should know how to minister. I should know how to derive this understanding from the Word. And the minute someone even suggests it or demonstrates it better than you, you become offended. And you are going to be destroyed from the lack of knowledge of your own weakness. Now there's a different lack of knowledge. And this applies to the other group who wallow in pity. You throw more parties in the White House. You got a big pity party hat and invite everybody that you see. It's a lack of knowledge of his strength. Come on. Whenever you begin to get overwhelmed and consumed with nobody understands exactly what I am going through. Nobody can see the pain that I'm, I'm in. Almost like that old song. Nobody knows these troubles I've seen. And everybody that you see, you're soliciting the strength. You want their word. You want their comfort to pour upon you. You're a victim of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, guess what? We serve a God who sent his own son to go to the very depths of hell for you so that he wouldn't. And if you wallow in any weakness or pity that the Lord is trying to deliver you from, you're rejecting the very sacrifice of Jesus. You're rejecting His strength. So there's an acceptable time here, such as after having a miscarriage, that you have to grieve. After losing a loved one, there's a certain time period when you lose a job. Of course, it's going to hit you square in the mouth, and it's going to cause an internal reaction. But what defines a mature Christian is when they bounce back. And how quickly they do. They don't let victimizing or wallowing in pity and sorrow define who they are.
but they understand the strength and the power of God that is available, and they take every full right of it. Come on, the blood of Jesus has done and bought everything we need for life and for godliness, right? This divine nature. How did you get that divine nature? Did you go pick it up at Walmart? You got a PhD and they gave you a divine nature, right? No, Jesus found you steeped in your sin. Sin was pinning you down and choking you to death. And he stepped in, took his claws off, kicked it in the face and said, I am now the Lord of you because you cried out for my help. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Amen. Come on, you know who you are. It's hard for you to say, I need help. Because the last thing you want to appear to be is in need of independence and the wallowing and pity are the enemies of finding that perfect strength. Y'all still with me? Yeah. Amen, amen. Come on, turn to Hebrews 5. Everybody say, Matt, how we fix it? I'm going to show you how, you, how we fix it. We be like Jesus. Is that good enough for you? No. Well, I, I appreciate your honest answers. Of course it's good enough for you, but I'm here to strengthen you, to better equip you. How do we do it like Jesus? So right in Hebrews chapter 5? All right, let me get there too. All right, 5 verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Come on, let me read that again. Now we're talking about Jesus, the very Son of God, the perfect one, unblemished and unlimited access into the throne room and presence of the living God. And look what he had to do. Are any of you in here perfect? In and of yourself, do you have full and right access into the presence of God? So how much more should we be in this state? Let's read it again. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Amen. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Come on, everybody say perfect. perfect. Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Come on, I'll say that phrase again for you. When you show yourself to be his disciple, you allow his strength to be poured through you. How do you show yourself to be a disciple, a discipline, someone discipled or disciplined by the king? Obedience. Obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Does anybody doubt that Jesus loved the Father? No. No. I don't doubt that at all. We know it because he obeyed him even to the point of death. He said, son, go crawl upon that cross. Son, be beaten and torn and ripped to shreds by men who do not deserve the very thing you're doing for them. 
so that when it's all said and done, I'm going to make you perfect and the source of salvation for the very people that nailed you to that cross. So how much more us during the days of our life on earth was it going to say about you? Did you offer up prayers and petition with loud cries, with tears, to save you from the death of whatever it may be? Your very life, a dream, a hope, a call, it really does put things into perspective. That when we are obedient to the King, we find that strength being poured through us. Everybody say obey. Obey. Turn to your neighbor and say obey. Obey. You got to obey the word. And wake up. This is cold in here. Some of y'all fall asleep. <laughs> Alright, so second Chronicles 16. I'm not saying it's too cold. I like it. Leave it exactly where it's at, bro. Just remember only elders can touch that thing. Alright, so 2 Chronicles 16. Let me get there, let me get there. Y'all there? For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Let me read again. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who hearts, whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So I kind of got a scientific mind. I like to break things down in equations. Let's go some of the antithesis or the, the opposite of what this says, right? Well, y'all with me? Say opposite. 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 There we go. I think that thing's hungry for me, actually. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. So those hearts who are not fully committed to Him, who are independent, who are willing to go their own way, will we strengthen those? No. No. Come on, I want you to evaluate your walk and your life right this minute. Are there areas of your life that you are pursuing in your own strength? Of either being independent or wallowing around in the pity of an unfulfillment of it? And you're wondering why God's strength isn't there? I want you to look hard and look deep into your own heart. It's not God's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. I want you to look and see, is your heart fully committed to do whatever Jesus says to do? Because he was fully committed to whatever his father told him to do, even to the point of giving up his own life when he didn't have to. What are you willing to give up for the sake of finding his strength? What is it? Come on, the presence of God challenges the idols that we build in our own life. And a lot of times, saints, I want to be honest with you, we call those little idols Jesus. We call those little pet things Jesus and say, but this is God's will for my life. 
Who am I to tell God this is how my life needs to be? I was a dead man when he found me. And the blood of Jesus picked me up out of the grave, stood me up, breathed life into me, and said, follow me. That I stand here today in full-time ministry, been around full-time ministry for over 20 years, but now fully committed to it. And guess what I'm going to find, saints? I'm going to find the strength of the living God to pour through me. Amen. There's a word as all four of us, my wife and I and Eric and Jen, we sat and prayed about this church and our lives of what the Lord was going to do this year. And the vision and heart that I got was that this was going to be a year of pouring out. And come on, that independent, uncorrectable nature within my own mind rose up and it said, what do you mean? I've been pouring out. Mm, not like this. Come on, y'all all had that two-thirds empty Sprite bottle, right? That two-liter. And you're just trying to fill up every little cup and distribute it evenly for that little those guests that you invited to your pity party. And you get to that one point where you have to take that bottle in order to get everything out of it, you turn it completely upside down. In fact, if you have a new one for you guys in homeschool, I think y'all try this. If you have one that is full and you turn it completely upside down, what will happen? A full two-liter bottle when turned upside down immediately Nothing will flow. Nothing will flow. It needs air above it to let the weight of the matter go through the bottle. So you know what the Lord showed me? He said we were going to be a, like a Sprite bottle. And he was going to circumcise what did not belong so that he could turn it completely vertical. And whatever we receive from him immediately goes straight through us and to other people. That's full-time ministry. That's me fully committed to the Lord. That saying, not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Come on, do y'all see a parallel in what Paul said and what Jesus said? He said, three times I asked the Lord to take this from me. It was something that was hindering him. A thorn in his flesh. Come on, I can barely do with a bird in my sock. And this was a thorn in his flesh that was challenging and grading him and getting down to the bone of who he was. And the only reply he got from Jesus was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So you want to know what the will of God is? You want to say, I don't know. What's the call of God on my life? I can tell you now, it's to have a heart that needs strengthening from God because it is so fully committed. Amen. There's no turning back. I turned in my two weeks notice. I would look like a fool, Joel, if I walked in and said, ah, I'll take it back. I'm going to work here. I would fire myself. You double-minded man, you can't think straight. How are you going to work for me? I jumped off the front of that eye. We have jumped off the front of a diving board, and now I'm going headlong into the will of God. Amen. Come on, the cross was the joy set before him. 
and I'm putting myself, my family, and my ministry partners in the position where we're going to have some prayers and petitions. We're going to make some loud cries. We're going to have some tears that say, Hosanna, come save us, mighty God. Because I don't know how this is going to work. You know what makes Mexico so fun sometimes? It's that right before you cross that border, your stomach begins to get tremble. You think about AK-47s and fast-moving vehicles. You kind of want to throw up in your mouth a little bit because you're so nervous. And then you race through the border. And you take some of those back roads and you see them with the radios. And they're eyeballing you. They're eyeballing the convoy. And they see Iglesias on the side of your truck. They're not sure. You could be just a mask disguise. disguise. They pull you over. You pray in the Holy Ghost. You shout in the Holy Ghost. Teresa, remember that? God gives you grace. And then you go into a colonia and see the power of God heal and do miraculous things. Because your heart was fully committed to do the will of God. Come on, I want to educate you this morning. That's not just for Mexico missions. That's for every single day of your life. Are you putting yourself in that position where God has to do something? Because number one, is it, it is His will. And you are dependent on supernatural strength to accomplish it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Should grab the same page. Yeah. 
that every breath that I breathe is because Jesus is giving it to me, then how am I managing it? What am I doing with it? Am I investing it in what's best for me? Am I walking within my own strength of being independent to prove to whoever that I can? Am I making every effort to let everyone know in the world of Facebook how much my heart hurts today? Hoping to garnish some kind of empathy that the Word of God should do in the first place. Come on, blessed is the man who does not sit in the counsel of the wicked. You get everything you need from the Word of God because nothing <laughs> in all creation is hidden from His sight. That David, the Word of God can go to the very center of your being and rule out every red herring that's coming up in your mind and say, this is the core issue. Come on, y'all know what red herrings are. It's illusion, literary illusion to something that has no substance but requires all of your attention and takes you away from the core issue. You have four girls, you may experience some of this. <laughs> but then, she said this, she took that. Where it really has to do with the way that she thinks she feels and that she looks in front of me. Come on, y'all know what these red hairs look like. These issues that pop up in your life that distract you from the core of what's really going on. And you know it. The minute you step into worship, the minute you begin to feel the presence of God, all those light momentary troubles that seem like mountains and boulders fade away and your heart is laid bare. The Word of God is the presence of God. And your heart is laid bare and exposed for what it really is and what's going on. And then you can properly discern, uh, this is what I was angry about. Now what do I do about it? His perfect strength is found when we choose to be His disciples and be completely obedient to whatever He says. And we may look weak in front of other people in the process. Come on, raise your hand if you've ever had to say, I'm sorry, and it really wasn't your fault. Husbands, put down your hands. <laughs> you did it with the intention of making shalom, getting peace with the other person and trying to diffuse a red herring, a ridiculous argument. Come on, we're called to be the family of God. We're called to be joined together. Amen. We're joined together not by weakness of sin. But saying, I need Jesus. Amen. Well, let's go back to Hebrews 5. I want to read this again. Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. 
He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Come on, stand to your feet. So I give you this charge this morning, saints. As my first message as a full-time minister of the gospel, I want you to show yourself. Show yourself to be his disciple. And you show yourself to be his disciple by being obedient to the word and the spirit of God. So if you have something in your life that is robbing you, a sinful weakness, run. Run from it. There's no life in it. There's something in your head that is still saying it's okay to do. And the word of God says it is not. It's a false illusion of life and strength. And being independent, willing to sit in this church and hear the word of God, participate in worship, but not be connected to the body of Christ, repent of it. Be connected with one another because I need you in my life and you need me in yours. Amen. Not one of us can bear fruit by ourselves. Amen? Amen. So join the hands of the people next to you because you need them in your life. Mighty God, we thank you for your sacrifice. The blood of your Son that has washed us clean, that has made us whole, that has set us free from slavery and bondage to our sinful nature. Lord, we pray that within the people within this room, that your will is done in each and every one of their lives. Yes. That the Word of God separate light from darkness within them. And they hide it within their heart so they do not sin against you. And Lord, I pray this morning the very thing that you prayed to your Father. Lord, may we be one as you and the Father are one. Lord God, unite us by your Spirit. Let our hearts be after yours. We thank you, mighty God, for your awesome display of unity by your Spirit. Mighty King, we worship you this morning. We give all of our lives to you. And we thank you, Jesus, for setting us in your will. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. Pray for me. And I love you in the name of Jesus.